you help me honor God for our bishop today? Amen. Amen. Um, I want to celebrate God for Pastor Mike Washington Kingwood. Amen. Now, can you help me praise God for the King of Kings?
Now, those that don't know me, I'm not a long-winded preacher whatsoever. And the hour is far spent, so this is good. <laughs> Amen. And I knew God was working it out for me. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. But I, I love this story because you can look at the story from multiple angles. And you can get so much out of this story. For starters, the deceased husband has left behind his wife in an unbecoming predicament. This wife is now left with a burden that she didn't have before. So she finds herself in a predicament where she has every right to throw her hands up. And she has every right to throw in the towel because the situation that she is in is not her fault. Have you ever been in a situation that was not your fault? You were left to pick up the pieces of someone else's mess. Y'all not gonna talk back to me in this church. Have you ever had to clean up someone else's mess? Have you ever had to carry a cross that shouldn't have been yours to carry in the first place? Well, this woman finds herself in that same situation. Her situation has nothing to do with God causing it, not causing it to happen because he wanted to teach a lesson. It had nothing to do with the enemy causing it to happen. This situation simply happened because of a lack of preparation. And when you fail to prepare, you leave a door open for the enemy to come in. So, so she's at the point where uh, Pico's now knocking at the door. The weather authority is now knocking on the door. The electric company is now knocking on the door. The water company is knocking on the door. Y'all acting like y'all never been there before. There's an eviction notice on the door. Bill collectors are calling her phone back to back. And it ain't scam likely. T-Mobile is threatening to turn the phone off. Not only was there a debt, but this woman had to find a way to pay this debt or her sons would become slaves. Her husband's legacy would become slaves. Her legacy would become slaves. And in this sense, her sons represent the bloodline. Somebody say the bloodline. And one thing we have to realize is that the enemy is after our bloodlines. Y'all still not going to talk that to me. He, he's after your legacy. He's after families. He's, the enemy is after relationships. He, he's after covenants. And if the enemy can creep in, he certainly will. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So this woman has to worry about her bloodline. And our text highlights this woman who is at an interesting crossroad in her life where her husband has died and leaves her in this predicament. Uh, she has to finish raising her two kids and she has to pay off her debt. And the Bible never mentions this widow's name. The Bible never mentions her husband's name. Although some scholars believe that her husband was Obadiah, it's not clearly written who this woman or her husband was. Uh, but we can see 
uh, we see this often throughout the Bible where there are people mentioned and we don't know their names. The Bible identifies people by situation or circumstance. It identifies people by, by some sort of dilemma. We have people like the woman with the issue of blood. Y'all know that story, right? Uh, who we don't know her name, but we know her condition. We have the thief on the cross. who We don't know his name, but we know his actions. We have the woman at the well who we don't know her name, but we know her by her conversation with Jesus. We, we have the boy with the five loaves and the two fish who we don't know his name, but we know him because he participated in a miracle. Somebody said a miracle. Although we do not know their names, it does not change their significance. We don't know their name, but it, was, but it doesn't change their identity. They may not play a big role as, as people such as Paul, uh, Mary, or David, but it doesn't change the fact that they are significant. And yes, this may be our first time hearing uh, about this woman in the Bible. Uh, well, yes, this may be the first time and the last time you heard of this woman, but the story was significant enough that God wanted her story to be told 2,000 years later. And there are 66 books in the Bible, and there was space for someone who doesn't even have a name. Uh, we don't know this widow's name, but that doesn't mean that her story did not happen. Some people may never know your name, but it doesn't change the fact that you have a story. Some people may never know your name, but it doesn't change the fact that you were called to be here. And God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. Somebody said, I'm significant. Amen. You may not know my name, but I'm significant. And for some of you that are, that are, that are under the sound of my voice, uh, you may think that uh, you're not significant because you don't feel like you're playing a big role in life. But I want you to know that the same reason that you think you are insignificant is the same reason why God believes that you are significant. God is not a respecter of person. They may not know your name, but God does. Somebody say, God knows my name. One more time, say, God knows my name. They, might, they may not think, they may not think what you have to offer is significant, but God does. So this woman goes to Elijah, who has the mantle of Elijah, and tells him that her husband is dead, and, and she says, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know, he, re, he revered the Lord. He revered the Lord. Elisha asks two questions. How can I help you? He doesn't wait for an answer, but he goes straight into the next question. What do you have in your house? And the woman responds and says, your servant has nothing there at all. And said, except a small jar of olive oil. A lot of the times we go to God expecting for him to just give us things. And we treat God as if he's a genie in the bottle. And we treat God as if he's some sort of sugar daddy, but you have to be an active participant in your breakthrough. What are you bringing to the table? In today's times, we are so used to having things at our fingertips, 
We are so used to having things come easy to us. Uh, we even pay for convenience so we don't have to put work and or time in. We'll, we'll even pay for things to get done so that we don't have to do it ourselves. We'll pay to have our food delivered because we don't feel like going out to get it. Or we don't feel like cooking it. Hallelujah. We'll, we'll pay to have our grass cut because we're even though we're fully capable of doing it ourselves, we still pay for it because of the convenience. And because of this, things come to us without having to put some work in. And it's not necessarily a generational thing because we see this mi mindset amongst multiple generations. And we see it, and, even, and we even see it when it comes to the saints. We want God to do things and we don't want to put any work in. We want God to heal us, but we don't want to eat right. We want God to help us lose weight, but we're up at 12 a.m. eating Twinkies and 2 a.m. eating drinking milkshakes. And we don't offer God anything and we expect God to give us everything. When was the last time you turned down your plate? When was the last time you lived a holy life outside of Sunday? When was the last time you lived out your yes? When was the last time you gave God a sacrificial offering? When was the last time? Look at somebody and say, when was the last time? When was the last time? This next season is going to require you to participate in what you need God to do for you. What's in your house? Is it a prayer life? What's in your house? Is it obedience? What's in your house? Is it charity? What's in your house? Uh, just ask your neighbor, what's in your house? What's in your house? Uh, God requires participation. For it takes time. For it takes more than faith to move your mountains. Faith without works is dead. God requires your participation. So she said, uh, so she said she had some oil, and Elisha says, go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go out, go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. So the woman heeds the voice of the man of God. Now she immediately goes out and gathers the vessels. Uh, and she even got the children to become active participants. Yeah, yeah. And they brought jars to her, and she kept pouring. She poured, and she poured, and she poured some more until jars were full. And she said to her son, bring me another one. But then he replied, there is no, there's not a jar left. Uh, then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and said, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live off of what's left. Yes. Amen. God bless you. Yes. Amen. Well, <laughs> Amen. <laughs>